Well, good morning, Baylor Church. You know, I love that uh, as a church family, we gather multiple times on Sundays. Of course, there's our 9 a.m., our 11 a.m., and our 6 p.m. service. And whenever we gather, we know that there's many that join us online as well. And if you're joining us online right now, whether you're traveling or homesick, or if your kids have sports or you're on the sidelines, I know this morning at the 9 a.m. service, uh, we had a unique viewer uh, who intended, I don't know if he was able to do it or not, but the plan was, Pastor Mike Morgan, you know, many of them, uh, he texted me last night. He's like, dude, I'm going to join the 9 a.m. service online. I'm like, you're crazy. You're running a marathon tomorrow morning. Like, you're going to join us online? He's like, yeah, that's the plan. So apparently this morning uh, he did finish the marathon we knew uh, down in San Diego. Uh, so Pastor Mike did it in four hours and ten minutes, which was just bonkers fast. And what's interesting is, you know, this, this race, he had a little chip on him, apparently, and you could see where he was on a map. So I woke up this morning, I'm like, there's Mike. Like, <laughs> wow. He's like half a mile in. You know, this is amazing. And throughout the morning, you know, farther along the way, you know, and uh, he could, with his watch that I knew he was wearing, I know that he could see how fast he was running per mile and he could anticipate, you know, whether or not he was going to, you know, finish uh, under his goal. You know, he was saying, gosh, if I can do it under four hours and 30 minutes, that'd be amazing. I mean, four hours would be crazy amazing. But, you know, having goals is one thing. But in order to meet those goals, as he knew, if you have a reference point, it really helps. And so he was able to keep pushing through mile after mile because he knew how far he had gone and how far he had to go. And watch me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a connection to us. We have a goal every year of meeting our fiscal year-end goals. And we're on our home stretch. Dots connecting here. And uh, if you're new, I do this every week. I connect dots. But uh, we as a church family, it's so wonderful knowing that we can accomplish so much more than we can as individuals. And the millions of dollars that you gave last year towards amazing ministry on this campus and the city and around the globe, lives are tremendously transformed for eternity. We get to do that every single year. That's how we as a church have been around for 63 years. We get to enjoy the faithfulness of so many that have gone before us. And so our, our goal is simply to match uh, our May and June of last year. Now that May is done, we're on the home stretch. So just as a reference point, we've got $650,000 to go. Sounds like a lot of money, I know, I know. But collectively as a church family, thousands who are part of our church family, that's the pace that we ran last year. So in advance, thank you for your faithfulness. We were able to hit our goals last year because some of you you give on a consistent basis, and you did so in June. Some of you, you give uh, once or twice a year strategically, and you know that June is a really important month, so thank you for that. And some of you, likely you started giving for the first time last June. We did it together last year. We can do it again this year. And every single week, we'll just show you our progress as we aim towards that goal of fiscal health. Some of you have heard this last week or the week before, but because of our faithfulness financially, we were able to enable to do some things in advance of when we were scheduled to do them, one of which we had a long-term loan, $8 million left over from a capital campaign over a decade ago 
we were due to refinance it a year from now, you never know, our rate's going to go up. Maybe they go down or maybe they'll go up. We were in such good financial health that we had two banks competing for our business, which is so wonderful, and we got such great rates that somebody else said, are you sure that's the rate you got? Because that's like unheard of. Who are you all? And my executive director said, well, we are a church, so we've been praying a lot. And they said, well, that's it. So because of our faithfulness as a church family, it enables us to just make room for more ministry. And let me pray for us, not only for Mike recovering from that marathon, but for all of us right now as we come to this moment, bringing the unique stories to this moment. Let's pray. Loving God, as we are about to turn to your word, I love the fact that you know us. You know our hearts, you know our minds. And I love the fact that we're about to open up and read not just written words, but we're going to read something that you refer to as a living word. So would it be alive in our hearts, alive in our minds? Would it transform us for your glory, for our joy? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And we say together, amen. Why don't you open up your Bibles to Luke 24, last chapter in the gospel according to Luke. If you don't have a Bible that you brought, no problem. That red book in the pew in front of you is our pew Bible. Take it home with you. If you don't have one, would rather it be in your life and speaking hope and love and truth than it sit in the pews all week. And again, for the many that join us every week online or listen after the fact, we are going to Luke 24, verses 36 through 53. I, I believe it's on page 861 in your pew Bible. Is that right? I have a screen that says that, so it's not like I'm... <laughs> the physician Luke, who wrote the gospel that we're going to read from, wrote with more detail than any other gospel writer. And though there were many appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, he chose to write down three. This is the last of the three. This is after he accounts for Jesus meeting two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Perhaps you are familiar with that story. And so now those disciples who have experienced Jesus, encountered Jesus on this road away from Jerusalem, have now come back. They're behind locked doors, talking to their brothers, their friends, likely also some of the sisters in Christ, those disciples there. And as they're talking about what happened, we read this in verse 36 of Luke 24. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised, to stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. All right, so here we are. We're coming to the conclusion next week of this sermon series called Transformed. We're taking a look at how Jesus, after his resurrection from the grave, appeared to people. And he met them in the midst of some sort of emotional, physical, relational state that they were in. And he met them in the midst of it, and he transformed them and set them free. And so week after week, we've taken a look at how Jesus not only encounters people, but he transforms them. And he encounters us and transforms us. And so these disciples right here, and I want to be crystal clear, when they have an encounter with Jesus, they're overwhelmed. They're terrified, it says. They're, they're frightened. They're, they're fearful. And in that moment, we can see something that happened to them that I think happens to us when we have an encounter with God that is beyond our comprehension. Our, our sight, our eyes get closed. Our minds get closed. And our lives get closed. And Jesus, he opens up their eyes. And he opens up their minds. And he opens up their lives. And I would guess that perhaps there's some of us here today, perhaps many of us today in this room or online, we've encountered God in the past or we might have an encounter in the future. And we might be a lot like these disciples where our first reaction is that because we cannot comprehend, we can't wrap our mind around the greatness and the glory and the splendor of who who God is, that, that we close off and we shut down. Let me give you an example. Uh, some of you were here on a Sunday, I think it was like in February of this year, and you might have seen me uh, come up front and do something uh, that I never, I, I can recall, done before. Well, on that day, during the 10 o'clock hour, there was a, a young boy who I know very well, was a friend of uh, my son's, Penn Viola, and he broke his arm on campus. Awful for any parent to think through. Awful for a pastor to think through. For friends to, th and just awful, all around awful, right? So a text comes to me in between the service, and I'm just, just praying uh, just as I saw that text. And I, and I came up here, and if you were here that day, and it was kind of this weird, I, I, I've shared with some of you, I don't know if I've shared this yet from the pulpit, but it, uh, truly it was kind of like this out of body experience just for a moment. Because all of a sudden, I find myself, and I'm on my knees, and I'm praying, like, really boldly, like, out of characteristic boldly. And part of my mind is like, you're on your knees. 
what is happening? And I'm praying boldly. And then I hear myself pray, God, would you unbreak his arm? I've never prayed that before. Come to think of it, I've actually, I haven't prayed that since. But I'm kind of like, part of me is just, I'm, it, it's not Drew, the senior pastor, doing some great prayer. It's simply a follower of Jesus being obedient in the moment. And it was kind of praying through me is the best, I don't know, it's the best way I can describe it. I mean, I experienced it, so I, it's, it's even hard for me to put into words. But what happened in that moment is some of you were praying too, and you're like, oh, I know. I know DJ, and I know Shannon, I've got their number. I'm going to text them, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, they, by this point, are in the ER, and their phone goes bing, bing, you know, text blowing up their phone. And they had just been praying for their son, one of three kids. And they know what a broken bone looks like. The other kids have had broken bones. And the paleness of the face and the swelling of the arm and the bent angle and the, the way they described They knew, of course, you know what a, broke, a broken bone, if you see one before. Not just a little hairline, but like a broken bone, right? So their eyes come up out of praying and they look over and they see Penn shifting his weight on the table on the broken arm. They're like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And he's like, what? I'm fine. And they go up to him and they pick up his arm and they look at his arm and they're like, this, what, what happened? And the doctor comes in, they take the pen into the x-ray and, and, and the doctor says... No broken bone here? This bone was never broken. So, so two reasons I share this story. God can do whatever God wants, first of all, okay? And as we get into this, you're going to see how this text can remind us that God can do whatever God wants. But second, as they've shared with me, they've had kind of an interesting experience since then. They've begun to share, you know, this story with some of their friends, and they've shared with me that... You know, some of their Christian friends have been like, oh, are you sure it was broken? Some of their Christian, like not non-Christian, some of their Christian friends are like, I mean, are you sure it was broken? How many of you uh, at any point in your life, like me, because uh, I've done this before, have maybe heard a story about something phenomenal that God did or somebody experienced, or you yourself experienced God, and you kind of rationalize it or minimize it and don't let yourself truly fall into the belief that it actually happened. Anybody else like me? Okay, I'm going to put every limb up. Like, this is a natural thing, okay? Natural thing, natural thing. As humans, we have a finite mind, and we want to make sense of the world. And we are at more peace, and neuroscientists tell us that we are at more peace chemically, psychologically, psychosocially, when things fall into definitions. And that's true for ourselves, relationships, concepts. We want things to be nice and neat, and yet we have a limitless God who can do whatever God wants, whom speaks and cosmos come to existence. You can't wrap your mind around that God so much so that the Apostle Paul, who writes one of the most profoundly thick theological books of the Bible, the book of Romans, I mean, it's profoundly deep and complex. And then he gets to Romans chapter 11, and towards the end of it, he says, and I almost imagine him either putting down the pen or if there was a scribe writing what he was saying, 
putting it down and breaking out in a worship because what he writes is, but who can understand the depths and the wisdom of the knowledge of God? This is this great mystery. And so perhaps we are like these disciples who when we encounter a God or a Jesus or a spirit that is bigger than we can comprehend, we get fearful and we close off and we shut down and we rationalize and we minimize. And Jesus says, today, right now, 2019, every moment of every day, I want to open up your eyes, I want to open up your minds, and I want to open up your life to something so much greater. So why don't we open these things back up. Let's take a look at where I'm getting this from. This is right here in the text. So Luke 24. I love how they are minimizing what they're experiencing. They think they've seen a ghost. Let me paraphrase. They are over-spiritualizing the resurrection. Many people do that today. You know, that whole resurrection thing, I hear people say, you know, it's, 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 a, it's really just kind of a metaphor. You know, Jesus was a great man, and, you know, it reminds us that there's life after death, there's, there's hope, um, you know, he's a great example, and, and we spiritualize Jesus. We turn him into someone we want to emulate or imitate or we look up to. And they say, we think we've seen a ghost. They're spiritualizing what has happened. And Jesus says, don't you dare. Take a look at this. Verse 39, look. If you have your Bible, why don't you circle that verb, look. Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. It's, it's, it's me. Now, why would he say, look at my hands and look at my feet? If I was writing this and making it up, I would say, look into my eyes. Is that what we do? You know, we don't see somebody for a long time, and we're like, look, look, it's me. We went to college together. I know I look different, but it's me, right? Jesus says, no, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at these scars. It is me. You saw me crucified. Now see me now. I was dead, and now I am alive. And yes, I just passed through a wall. Say what? <laughs> so there's this spiritual reality that enables Jesus in his resurrected state to pass through a wall. And then he says, look at my hands, look at my feet. Hey, you got any food? <laughs> and they give him, and I love this. And scholars say this is another example of why Luke is not making this up because there's a level of detail here that you wouldn't put in if you're just making this up like a legend. It doesn't say there was like fish and chips or sashimi or fish tacos. It literally, the detail is here. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Who cares how you prepared that fish? <laughs> Looks like, well, I saw it, so I'm just going to just, this is an eyewitness account. Scholars say, well, that's another reason why this actually historically happened. And then he doesn't, like, put it in a knapsack for later. He eats it. And though he walked through walls somehow, the broiled fish doesn't just fall through him like Casper the Ghost. 
So there's this interesting intersection of a spiritual being that can pass through walls and a a physical state that can eat, that can be touched, that can be embraced. Jesus says the first thing that you've got to do whenever you shut down is to look at me. Get your eyes off the diagnosis. Get your eyes off the pain. Get your eyes off the the fear. Get your eyes off fill in the blank. Look, Look at me. So much so that just looking at Jesus transformed their lives. And I'm going to give you proof. Take a look at this. Flip towards the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 1. One of the the believers who was there in the room likely touched Jesus, who saw with his own eyes in that moment, writes this letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Why don't you shout out when you get to the page? 989. And I want you just to listen. In three verses, how many times you hear that verb see or seen? Verse 1, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes. What we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. In three verses, four different times, there's a verb there that has to do with seeing. See, three times and looked once. No one believed him. And they're like, we know what we saw. We saw him, we touched him. And we're, we're here to proclaim to you what we saw and what it means. They, they had their eyes open and other people didn't believe. Now, I've got some friends who aren't followers of Jesus who, when they talk about the resurrection, they say, well, you know, we have advanced scientifically. We understand the world. So it makes sense for us today to know that that, that can happen. You can't reanimate life, friends of mine have said. And they said to me, but, you know, back in the first century, people weren't as sharp. They were a little more... You know, you know, it was back then. So, of course, they believed, you know, they just kind of believed in those things. Oh, don't be so quick. It's tempting to kind of be snobbish towards other cultures and other times to think that we're somehow more advanced. But you've got to understand that in the first century, from a Roman worldview, a Greek worldview, and a Jewish worldview, resurrection for one person could not happen. So the Romans did not believe in resurrection at all. Greek philosophy did not believe in resurrection for an individual at all. And a Jewish worldview did not believe in one person rising from the grave. So they weren't like going out and basically saying this thing that everybody already believed because they were simple-minded. No, no one believed it. And they're like, we saw what we saw. DJ and Shanna are like, we saw what we saw. I mean, you can believe or disbelieve, but we saw what we saw. Some of you, you've seen what you've seen. You've experienced what you've experienced. N.T. Wright, a phenomenal biblical scholar, 
writes this about that very thing. Listen to this. It says, it cannot be stressed too strongly that a first century Jewish worldview did not expect people to rise from the dead as isolated individuals. When you look at Daniel chapter 12, there's this talk of a general resurrection at the end of history, at the end of time, when the whole new world was renewed. It will not do, therefore, to say that Jesus' disciples were just so stunned and so shocked by his death, so unable to come to terms with it that they kind of made it up, that they projected their shattered hopes onto the screen of fantasy and invented the idea of Jesus' resurrection simply as a way of coping with their cruelly broken dream. People have thought that about their early Christians. You know, they just can't cope and they're just going to, you know, put their hope in this one, they're going to make up a story. That has, N.T. Wright says, an initial apparent psychological plausibility to us 21st century people, but it will not work as serious first century history. You see, there were lots of other messianic and similar movements in the Jewish world roughly contemporary with Jesus. There were many situations in which a messianic leader died a violent death at the hands of authorities. In not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming that their hero had been raised from the dead. All those other movements, they knew better. In the Jewish worldview, an individual could not be resurrected in the middle of history, and history keep on going. It was not something that was possible in their worldviews, not for the Romans, not for the Greeks, not for the Jews. So Jewish revolutionaries whose leaders had been executed by the authorities had only two options, give up the res revolution or find another leader. Claiming that your original leader had been resurrected was not an option, unless, of course, he was. And the disciples said, I know it doesn't make sense. And nobody else is making these claims. But we saw them. Flesh and bones. Not only did Jesus open up their eyes, he opened up their minds. You see, you can notice something, but just because you notice something, you don't necessarily know what it means. There's something fascinating called semiotic awareness. You've all experienced this. When you think back on your life, maybe you've had these moments, you were shopping for uh, a new car, a new purse, a new phone, a new watch. Uh, once you become interested in it, all of a sudden, it's everywhere. Like you're on the freeway and you notice that car everywhere. You see that watch everywhere. You see that purse everywhere, right? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's not because those manufacturers all of a sudden, because they heard you wanted it manufactured thousands of more. No. It's because now you see it. You notice it. It pops out in the midst of all the busyness. You know the difference between a bad gardener and a good gardener? A bad gardener looks at a garden and says, oh my gosh, that is so gorgeous. Look at that thing. It's huge and it's beautiful. And a good gardener says, what? That's a weed. You see, it's not just about noticing, it's about understanding what you see. And Jesus says, it's not just enough to have your eyes open to me, now let me open up your minds to explain what you are seeing. Take a look. Go back to, if you would, Luke 24. 
And in that text, after Jesus says, look, look at me, it's I myself, and boy, give me some food, which, side note, yes, there's food in a resurrected state. I love food. We'll get to that in a moment. That's a little foreshadow. I mean, I just want to skip over my second point to get to the food, but let me, I, patience. Verse 44, uh, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, pause, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all that was about me. And then he goes on, the prophets, well, that's a lot of books in the Old Testament, all that was about me, he says, and the Psalms, that's a lot of chapters. He says, that's all about me. I told you when I was with you before, all those things that we see in those stories that all must be fulfilled. They're not just stories. Those stories point to something. They've pointed to me, Jesus says. Then he opened their minds. Can somebody say open their minds? Right there. You open things that were formally closed, they, they, they were closed off. They couldn't comprehend. They had read Scripture. Side note, Jesus' critique of the Pharisees, they had studied Scripture so much, and they were searching for life. But when Jesus came, they missed him. They couldn't make the connection. It was all about the law. It was all about doing. They missed the giver of life. And he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Here's what he's saying in short summary. The whole narrative of Scripture is all about me. This isn't just a collection of fortune cookie sayings. This is not just a, a random group of letters or books put together. There is an arc. There is a narrative. And it begins with a God that loves God's creation, that creates everything and creates you and me in the image of God, that you are the pinnacle of God's creation. And we, like all humans, we choose our way rather than God's way. And there's a brokenness. There's a separation from ourselves, from each other, from creation, from God. And yet God loves us so much that God pursues us to the ends of the earth. And it finds its fulfillment in Jesus the Christ who comes, who walks among us, who lives the perfect life, who dies not as a victim but dies victorious, who defeats death, who rises from the grave who comes to those disciples and says, look, it's me, I'm here. And now that I've defeated death, now that I am who I say I am, would you be so open-minded to the greatness and the glory of God, and would you be open to a purpose for your life? Would you go out in the world, and would you tell everybody that I am the way? Now, here's the irony. When you don't know Jesus yet, and you hear that Jesus is the only way to the Father. That sounds very closed-minded, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound very narrow-minded? And there's a critique amongst people around the world. that's like, you know, Christians are so closed-minded. They're so narrow-minded. Well, some Christians just are closed-minded and narrow-minded. And they're really not following Jesus very well. But they're closed-minded, they're narrow-minded about 
everything, and, and they don't relate to people, and they don't love people, and they set themselves apart from people, and they don't, they don't forgive as Jesus forgave, and they're, they're, they're kind of an enclave, and it's just us versus the world. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus says that I am the greatest thing in the cosmos. The most open-minded thing you can do is be open to me. And when you're open to me, you will move out in the world and you will actually be the most open-minded people on the planet. In actual fact, if you actually follow Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which we'll get to in a moment, you're actually going to be the most open-minded people on the planet. You will be open to people. You'll love them. You'll care for them. You'll, you'll listen to their ideas. And at the same time, you will be so open to this great and glorious God that you will be so focused on the life that he has for you, that he is the only way, that you are now set out into the world to proclaim his name and his glory and his purposes, that you live for him and not for you. And in actual fact, that is the most open-minded way of living, even though it might sound to the hearers as very close-minded. But the most closed-minded thing to do is be so open-minded at all that you hear the claims of Jesus and you say, no, that's, no, I'm open-minded, some people say. So therefore, I'm not really going to listen to what Jesus says. In actual fact, that's very narrow-minded. Because you are taking your worldview, whatever that is, and you're not opening yourself up to the greatest, grandest, Think of all that can't even have your mind wrapped around. Jesus is saying, I want to open up your eyes, and I want to open up your mind, and I want to send you out. So would you repent, which means to turn? Would you turn from your closed-mindedness? Would you be open to me? Would you be open to, to my leading? You know, what's so remarkable is then they did. They went out. And they began to live in such a way that was different than everybody else. You see, when you allow Jesus to open up your eyes and open up your mind, two things happen that are very rare on this planet. On one hand, you won't get hung up on things that would normally hang you up. And two, you will engage in things that you normally wouldn't engage in. Now, let me say more. Most people fall into one or the other category. You've got some people that just don't get hung up on things. You know, they keep short accounts. They don't get bitter. They forgive easily. Uh, you know, laissez-faire. Oh, yeah, everything will work out. It's totally fine. The problem is, is that most often those people don't really get engaged. They're kind of aloof. Uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they don't show up in courageous ways and put themselves out there because it's kind of like, nah, I, I'm just, you know, they kind of distance themselves. And there's actually worldviews and there's actually philosophies that cause you not to get hung up because all this is just an illusion. So just kind of back away and just don't be connected and don't put yourself out there and don't enjoy food and don't enjoy music because, you know, just kind of don't get hung up over everything. Or you've got some people that are so engaged in everything that they're hung up about everything. And their whole life, they've got to measure up and other people got to measure up. And they've got to do everything right and they've got to do it by the book and they hold everybody else by that ledger. 
And they keep long accounts. They are constantly bitter. They're unable to forgive. And they're constantly hung up for their mistakes and other people's mistakes. And Jesus says, can I open up your eyes and your mind so that in harmony, you won't get so hung up, but you'll be so engaged. You won't get hung up when you make mistakes in a way that paralyzes you because I've forgiven you and I am a God of grace. You won't get hung up trying to make everybody like you because the king of kings says you are worthy to be my child. You won't get hung up by your ever-worsening looks. <laughs> you know, some of you, you, you see a, you know, a photo, you're about to put it on social media, you're like, oh my gosh, you know. Then you see a photo of yourself, you know, let's say 10 years ago when you were, you know, 45, and you're like, oh my gosh, look how young I looked. The problem was when you were 45, you took a photo and you're like, <gasps> and then you saw the photo of 35, and you're like, oh, it always happens. And so I see this thing, right? And I hear people counsel one another, you know, like in therapy. And, and you know, they counsel one another, and you're like, well, at least. Today, you're as young as you'll ever be. <laughs> At least, today's the youngest you'll ever look. No one laughed at that because you're like, oh, that's true. <laughs> and so we get hung up on these things. And Jesus says, are you kidding me? I've defeated death. Therefore, my word is true. And my promise to you is that you too will experience the defeat of death. And you too will have a resurrected body. Fully spiritual, fully physical. And so it's actually a lie that you are as young as you are ever be. In actual fact, you have no idea how good it's about to be. Maybe some of you have regrets. You're like, oh, I wish I could dance. I go to weddings and I go to parties and I, I try to dance in my house alone. I just can't dance. And I've got regrets, and you get hung up on that, let's say. Jesus says, are you kidding me? You think Fred Astaire could dance? Wait till you dance in a resurrected body in my presence. Some of you, like me, wish you could sing. I mean really sing. I mean sing like a whole stadium. It's just like in just amazement. I just, I see people singing. I'm like, that would be so, that would feel so good. I kind of like, man, I wish I, I just, and Jesus says, no, open up your minds. You know how good you're going to sing in my presence? I think about food, and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have gone to that restaurant. It's closed now. I wish I would have bought that thing. It's been discontinued. Jesus says, are you kidding me? Get ready for a feast in my presence. Don't have to worry about cholesterol. It's going to be amazing. But there's going to be dancing and singing and feasting in God's presence. And so Jesus passes through a wall, asks for food, and this is what's amazing. So he says, don't get hung up on all these things. I'm going to work all things together for good you're, you're so worked up because your plan is not working out. Your dreams are not working out. It's different than you thought, and you get hung up, and you get paralyzed. And Jesus says, look, trust me. It's that song we sing, Sovereign. Go back and listen to the lyrics of Sovereign. It is that in a nutshell. And then Jesus goes on to say, though, 
this world means so much to me that when I defeat death and I become resurrected, I'm going to be resurrected in this physical space. He says, this is not an illusion. This is real, and it matters. And he says, look, I have come into this place, and I've come into this space, and I want you to go out in this world, and I want you to engage in loving people, in fighting against injustice, in caring for the widows and caring for the orphans. I want you to be on the front lines of being a voice for the voiceless. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to be so heavenly-minded that you are the most earthly good. Maybe you've heard it before that some people are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. And Jesus says, be so heavenly-minded that you are the best teachers in the world. Be so heavenly-minded that you are the best lawyers in the world. Be so heavenly-minded that you see that everything you do on set, with friends, over the course of a meal, matters. Jesus is the first fruit of creation. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus is going to renew all things here. God is going to come, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth here. There's this amazing moment where John, I, I want to show this to you if you would uh, go to Revelation. In John chapter 1, there's an experience that he has in the Spirit, and this ties in with my last point. Jesus says, I want you to have your eyes open, your mind open, and now your life opened. If you can remember while you're opening to Revelation 1, uh, he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want your life to pause until you receive the Holy Spirit. I want your whole life to be opened up to my power and my presence through the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so John is one of those, receives the Spirit on Pentecost, of which we're going to celebrate next Sunday. And he has this moment, Revelation 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now let me pause here. And I'm going to say something that I know, I just know, it's, it's, it's human um, reality, that, that some of you are going to be very closed off to the moment I say it. And I, and I just acknowledge that. And I ask that you would pray through that today and that you would pray through that this week. And here's what I'm going to say. What John experienced back then if God wanted to, you could experience today. So John is now in the spirit and he has a vision and sees with his eyes not only the resurrected Jesus but the ascended Jesus to the right hand of the Father. Now I know. I'm going to repeat it because just to make this point here, likely some of you will close off to this and say, no, 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 that's not true. Here's the statement. What Jesus, what John experienced back then, in the Spirit, having a vision, a clear vision, an overwhelming vision of Jesus in his resurrected state that was beyond the scope of time, that was in this place called the eternal now. What he experienced back then is something that if God wanted to, you could experience today. In the Spirit, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you receive the Spirit. You could experience this today if, if God so chose. 
Okay? Here's what he saw. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, that is Sunday, and I heard behind me a loud voice, listen to him struggle for language. I heard a voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Theatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Ready for this? Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like They were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first, I am the last, I am the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death. Jesus says, open up your eyes. I'm so much greater and more loving than you could ever imagine. Open up your mind to who I am, to who I've called you to be, to this life I'm inviting you into. But open up your life to the power of my spirit, giving you wisdom, giving you strength, giving you patience, giving you the ability to forgive, giving you the ability to be gentle and kind, giving you the ability to see things that you can't see without my spirit. Get ready to experience miracles. Open up your mind to the possibility that if God wants to do it, God can do it. And of course, I gotta say that God doesn't always do it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be open to it and rejoice in it when it happens. But as the Apostle Paul says, you know, there's some things that I've prayed for and it hasn't happened. I would want that to be a healing for God's glory. So until that happens, you know what? I'm going to suffer for his glory. I'm going to be patient for his glory. I'm going to trust for his glory, knowing that ultimately... He's going to work all things together for good that even death itself he has the keys to and that he's going to wipe away our tears as it says in Revelation that one day we're going to be singing and dancing and feasting in the presence of God. I want to grow. I know you want to grow. Let's look to Jesus to what of our eyes, our minds, and our lives. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this moment that we can gather in person or online 
And for those of us that have put our faith and trust in you, Jesus, we've already received your spirit. Would it continue to work in us and through us as we reflect on these truths? And if anybody here, the sound of my voice has yet to put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, I thank you that you are alive and well, that you're at the right hand of the Father, that you have an open invitation to anyone, regardless of their past, regardless of their future, to choose you now, Jesus, to turn from a closed mind to you, to repent, to, to open up their mind to you, to confess you as Lord, to believe that you've risen from the grave. And God, I thank you that you've promised that in that moment they will receive your spirit. Jesus, we thank you for your love, and it's in your name we pray and we say together.